It's Wednesday, January 24th, and he's two for two. We start here. This is a great, great state. Donald Trump wins the New Hampshire primary, and with it, perhaps the Republican nomination. But don't tell that to Nikki Haley. New Hampshire is first in the nation. It is not the last in the nation. Take nothing for granted. Today, we'll walk you through the votes, the voters. Nobody that I know wants to see a Biden-Trump matchup. And whether the candidates have already moved into a general election campaign. From ABC News, this is a special edition of Start Here. I'm Brad Milkey. Pink ballots over here, please. At the beginning of primary day, anything's possible. How's it going so far? Smooth? Yeah. Good. So far, so good. Yesterday, as polls opened in New Hampshire, we started our day in Bedford, a traditional Republican stronghold. Everyone was in high spirits, no matter who you voted for. First time voter! While the Iowa caucuses are technically a straw poll among a relatively small slice of the population, this is the first real vote of the election season. Republicans, Democrats, undeclared voters, they can all show up and cast their ballot. It is the busiest I've ever seen it. Is that right? Yeah, most people I've ever seen, probably in the last two elections combined. And as the day went on, you could feel the excitement ratcheting up. And can I ask like, who you voted for? Is my ready giveaway D- Donald Trump? I've been for Nikki for quite a while. Hopefully they're all writing in Joe Biden. Outside precincts like these, there are volunteers standing with signs expressing support. Ever since she turned her back on President Trump, um, she lost all confidence from me. He talks about draining the swamp. He's got the whole swamp behind him. Candidates themselves even stopped by to amp them up. Good luck to you. Thank you for coming out. I brought my friends. I love it. But as the polls closed, as day turned into night, We do want to announce that ABC News can project that Donald Trump will win the New Hampshire primaries. A sense of inevitability began to creep in. No upsets, no miracles. Within minutes of polls closing, Nikki Haley came on stage and conquered New Hampshire. I want to congratulate Donald Trump on his victory tonight. And admitted to her supporters that Donald Trump had won the state. New Hampshire is first in the nation. It is not the last in the nation. And yet, in what might be the biggest surprise of the night, Haley said she's still not bowing out of this race. So, what I want to know today is whether this truly is still a two-person race or whether it's over. Because either scenario's got big consequences for the fall. Okay, so... It is late at night here in Manchester, New Hampshire. We've just wrapped up primary night coverage, and I've got the person who's been like simultaneously covering both of these candidates over this last week, ABC's Rachel Scott. Rachel, it wasn't just who won that seemed important, right? It also seemed by how much, right? Yeah. What, what, what are the numbers telling you? Yeah, no surprise and no upset for Nikki Haley. Look, best case scenario, she wanted to come out here in New Hampshire with this sort of landslide victory that her team was promising weeks ago. But as we got closer to the primary, reality started to sink in, and they were just hoping to get within striking distance of the former president. 
Well, that would be maybe four to five points. We're not really seeing that at this point. At least 10 points difference between Donald Trump and Nikki Haley. This is not what her team wanted here. And really, they were relying heavily on the independent vote in this state. Far different than the Iowa electorate, where she got a third place finish in. I am very worried about the country. Um, I'm not entirely sure Nikki Haley has all the answers. But, you know, again, it was really more of a vote against Trump. Usually I'm Democrat, but uh, yeah, just not very happy with Joe Biden not being here. And uh, yeah, wanted to support anyone but Joe Biden and Donald Trump. She knew that independents in this state were really not that keen on Joe Biden, really not that keen on Donald Trump. And that's the argument that she's been making out on the campaign trail, that she is the best alternative to both of them this November. But she can't say that people didn't show up, Mm. right? Like turnout numbers seem big. Brad, when I tell you that I was at a polling location at 6.30 a.m., 30 minutes before the polls even opened, and there were lines snaking around the building of people waiting to get in, you really got the sense, talking to voters, that they knew this was consequential. We've got to start choosing people who think rationally and not about ourselves as just a unit. We are part of a whole world. Because typically, right, in a New Hampshire primary, you got a bunch of candidates on the ballot. You got a lot of people to choose from. Well, this all came down to a two-person race with just days to go. And so a lot of these voters took this very seriously. They knew whatever they decided in this New Hampshire primary would have significant consequences on the outcome, not only of this primary, but also the general election too. Are you feeling optimistic? Oh, optimistic. Optimistic. That's just... Just right. This is what we're doing now. We're all showing up. And Brad, look, there was such an eagerness to get out and vote that in some towns and cities, they started running out of Republican primary ballots. They had to make last minute requests for more ballots just so people could vote. Okay, and so then she still loses by what we're seeing right now. It was like, what, 10, almost 11 points. What was the reaction from from each of the candidates as the race was projected? Yeah, so Haley starts to see the writing on the wall. She comes out pretty quickly here. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And she says, look, this race is far from over. Dun, dun, dun. I'm not dropping out. (laughs) And that's really what everybody was sort of waiting for, right? Here's the moment. She thought she was going to win big here. She didn't. Is she going to end her campaign and endorse Donald Trump? That didn't happen at all. In fact, Nikki Haley said the exact opposite. South Carolina voters don't want a coronation. They want an election. She was like, look. See you in South Carolina. I'm staying in the race. And in fact, I'm challenging you to get on the debate stage and go one-on-one with me. Go head-to-head. Yeah, and far from endorsing him, it did seem like she was coming out harder against him than even on the campaign trail thus far. Yeah, and she's really had to walk this fine line, right? All of these Republican candidates have during the process of this Republican primary because they don't want to turn off the voters that they need to peel away in order to clinch the nomination, but they also at some point need to draw some sort of contrast with Trump. The other day, Donald Trump accused me of not providing security at the Capitol on January 6th. No, I've long called for mental competency tests for politicians over the age of 75. And so that has proved really difficult for Nikki Haley, and she's now starting to ramp up her attacks on the former president, but it might just be too little too late. What was Trump's reaction? I guess he comes out next, and you're there in the room with him. Yeah, so look, Trump's mindset heading into this was he just wanted a win. Didn't matter really by how much, he just wanted that W, okay? And that was really because he wanted to send a message to Nikki Haley that it's time to get out of the race, that I wanted Iowa, I wanted New Hampshire. This is my nomination. This is a great, great state. 
You had the former president. He was clearly watching Nikki Haley on that stage, listening closely to what she was saying. And it was clear he was not happy about it. And she was up and I said, wow, she's doing... uh like a speech like she won. She didn't win, she lost. And you Yes, know. he took a victory lap, but he also took on Nikki Haley very aggressively. He seemed like personally angry with her. Personally upset that she did not drop out of this race. But the only person more angry than, let's say me, but I don't get too angry, I get even. The only person. And be like the rest of his former rivals. He had Tim Scott on that stage. He had Vivek Ramaswamy. These are people that were in the race. They dropped out. They endorsed him. That was there to send a message that now it's time for the party to unify. And he was really upset that Nikki Haley just didn't do that. Did you get a sense of why that this state at this moment irked him so much that she wasn't just dropping out? Look, in Trump's mind right now, this is a general election matchup. So he's just ready to get this primary over with quickly so that the party can focus on figuring out ways that they can defeat Joe Biden. I'm voting Trump no matter what. Um, I don't know if I'm going to vote if <laughs> if he doesn't make it. <laughs> One thing that I found particularly interesting is that by exit polls, Trump does really well on the issues in this state. Voters like what he has to say. Republicans like his stance on immigration. They like his stance on the economy far more than they like Nikki Haley's stance on those issues. And just a little note to Nikki. She's not going to win. She's not going to win. But if she did... She would be under investigation by those people in 15 minutes. And but I he didn't talk about any policy during that speech. It was all grievance. It was all attacks against Nikki Haley. A lot of airing of frustrations. So then, OK, what happens now? Like later this morning, they both go to South Carolina or what's the deal? Well, Nikki Haley's going to South Carolina. Trump, God knows what he's going to say tomorrow. And, and you just don't know what's going to happen. And so she's there. And if he stumbles, she's there. And her team really sees the next few weeks as absolutely critical. They have just about a month to try to gain enough momentum to actually beat Trump. And it's been 10 years since she's actually run in South Carolina. So coming up next, we'll talk about how she does that, whether she's got a chance or whether this is over. Rachel Scott, thank you so much. Thanks, Brad. Actually unsure when Rachel sleeps. All right, when we come back, Haley says she's going to South Carolina. Is she going to win South Carolina or anywhere for that matter? Examining what comes next after the break. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. As in previous campaigns, it's the economy, stupid. We'll be looking at that this morning. First, though, it's the news, stupid. It is the economy, stupid. It's not the economy, stupid. It's national security, stupid. It's the hair, stupid. In 1992, one of the best-known pieces of presidential campaign wisdom was born. It's the economy, stupid. But was it actually the economy that won Bill Clinton that election? In a new series from the 538 Politics podcast, we're taking a look back at conventional wisdom from past elections with a critical lens. Where did that wisdom come from, and does it hold up today? Find the Campaign Throwback series in the 538 Politics feed wherever you get your podcasts.
people who disappear without a trace. Where is she? The most notorious murder cases in New York. Pure evil. And the most devious killers. There's a Hannibal Lecter feel to him. For chilling true crime stories, follow the True Crime NYC podcast wherever you listen. Okay, so we just talked to Rachel Scott, who has been on the ground, in the rooms with the candidates. I want to now turn to ABC's political director, Rick Klein, who was manning the big board on our live coverage. He's been watching these votes come in town by town and translating them into the broader trends we should be watching out for. And Rick, my first question is, is this over? Like, stick a fork in it, drop the balloon, start printing up the ballots for November. This is going to be a Trump-Biden rematch. It's done. Look, I've been looking for ways that Nikki Haley can win this, and you can find it, but man, do you have to squint. The areas of the state of New Hampshire and even Iowa where she did pretty well, suburban voters, uh, female voters, moderate independent voters, you can look how she changed the share of the electorate even in New Hampshire. Then you can look forward a bit and say, wow, the next big contest uh, on everyone's radar screen is her home state of South Carolina. But if you look a little bit deeper, you realize that actually before that is the Nevada caucuses. She's not even on the ballot on those contests. And then in South Carolina... Although our 538 polling average has her down like 35 points. Mm. You're still looking at Super Tuesday, where Trump's national edge is just enormous. So it is a daunting challenge. It's really hard to see how Nikki Haley can pull it out. And no one has ever won Iowa and, and, and New Hampshire and not gone on to win the nomination. It doesn't look like Nikki Haley is well positioned right now to be the one. Hey, and when it comes to South Carolina, like she can't just finish second in a bunch of states, right? There's only two candidates. Finishing second is not a great, like, that's not awesome. Is there a state where she wins? Like, New Hampshire was supposed to be the most forgiving state, and, you know, she lost it. She's got a bronze medal in Iowa, a silver in, in New Hampshire. Uh, she has to win, I think, functionally South Carolina to even convince her donors that, that she can go on. But there's another strategy that's starting to emerge that is basically, look, Donald Trump is so flawed with so many problems, so many distractions that there's something to be said for just being in the game because who knows if he'll implode? Who knows if there'll be a health issue, oh. criminal issues that put him essentially behind bars before you get to the convention? Uh, it's kind of a, a wild strategy, but then again, we're in wild like, just to, like just to be the clear alternative, Rick. There's one alternative, and it's Nikki Haley, the break glass alternative. And and of course, if if you really got to that situation, there's other there's other break glass scenarios. But I heard this from DeSantis people in the days before he dropped out that it's worth staying in just in case things truly go south for Donald Trump. And there will be some pressure from people that really want a Trump alternative for Nikki Haley to stick it out, even if she's not winning. The question ultimately becomes what Haley wants out of this, right? Because if she's looking at this right. and saying, I don't really see a path i may get i may get humiliated in my home state of, of south carolina then it becomes a, you know there's a cost to, to sticking sticking around and it, it, you know losing is not a way to win and donald trump has already signaled it is going to be a vicious month before south carolina he's already dropping hints at the things he's going to say about her uh, what, what some of his associates will do you know i talked to a, a trump aide in in december who talked about the primary road ahead who said look do not underestimate our ability to do basically whatever we want to whomever we want, however we want to do it. They are capable with the juggernaut they have built of of running a campaign that uh, the likes of which we, we rarely see in politics. Bird brain. I call it bird brain. 
Highly overrated. She's a very highly overrated person. A lot of what he says is is over the line against his uh, his opponents. And if the if the upside is you're probably not going to win anyway, Nikki Haley's going to have to look in the mirror. But look, at least for now, she says they're on to the next round of states, and they will get some encouragement from what's left of the anti-Trump forces. Is that kind of the legacy of this Trump campaign, Rick? Of of just the abject sort of p- political cruelty against these other candidates? Is that why they've all been dropping out so early? Because they know that if they handle this the wrong way. Their future in Republican politics is done. He can shred the, the reputation of anyone he wants to. He also, uh, we've also seen just the, the frustration all these candidates have about peeling away any of his support. I mean, you look at the field that, that first emerged here. You had Ron DeSantis, this rising star who had successes in a, in a reddening state. It's clear to me that a majority of Republican primary voters want to give Donald Trump another chance. Tim Scott, the only black Republican senator himself, was the inspiring story on the on campaign trail we need a president who will close our southern border today we need donald trump you had chris christie uh, bringing that anti-trump banner you had vice president pence his own vp up there uh, uh, none of those guys made it to new hampshire uh, the only person standing is nikki haley so there's something to be said for that achievement alone uh, but yeah if nikki haley wants to stick this out she's going to have to buckle up for a brutal couple of weeks of campaigning at least if not uh, several months of a long slog uh, that, that probably on today's facts does not end in her winning well, and so if what I'm hearing is like, you know, for all intents and purposes, Trump is the presumptive nominee, like something would need to almost kick him out of that role somehow. How is he positioning himself now? Like, does he start positioning himself right now for the general election? And what does that look like? He's going to be Trump. I mean, look, I, th- this is not someone I think that you say is capable of a pivot to a general election. There's times where he's tried to do that. He's talked about doing that. You've, there's been hints. Well, I, that. I just see it like Tim Scott is like almost wearing a sign around his neck that says, like, pick me for vice president. I'm just wondering if that's on Trump's mind. Yeah, that's not that's not going to be what we see out of uh, uh, out of Donald Trump is going to be some kind of moderating message. I, I think you're going to see what you always see with him, which is he'll try out a lot of wild things. He's not going to back down. And look, he is built this campaign around himself. If you want to defeat the radical left Democrats and save America, you must vote for your favorite president of all time, Donald J. Trump. Vengeance for him and his supporters around grievance politics and around fundamentally the feeling that Republican voters will buy into the struggle that he has talked about as their own. How is Biden dealing? I can't believe I'm already asking you this, but I mean, this is the reality. What is Biden doing as far as a general election matchup? Oh, look, he is now saying it's clear that it's going to be Trump. And he's positioned himself for some time against the MAGA movement. He's made clear that he relishes that fight. Trump says he's proud that he overturned Roe v. Wade. He said, and I quote, there has to be punishment for the women exercising the reproductive freedom. He describes the Dobbs decision as a miracle. But for American women, it's a nightmare. Biden's whole political identity as president has been uh, shaped around the reactions to Trump. And that team has been preparing, even if it wasn't Trump as the nominee, they were going to square up against the MAGA agenda. As it is, they're probably going to get Trump. And so you're starting to see them poke out a little bit more, talking about the threats to democracy, talking about abortion rights and freedoms, trying to tout their accomplishments. They have been slow going, but there's a team that's in Wilmington that's ready to go against Donald Trump. Hey, last question, Rick. I'm wondering what what we've just seen means for like future elections. Because like last time I was here in New Hampshire, it was a very dynamic Democratic primary, right? Everyone's engaged. Everyone agrees. This is how we decide the process. 
Now, four years later, despite a very different campaign process, one party doesn't even want to be here, and the other one just elected the same guy it elected eight years ago. It looks like we're going to have the same matchup, right? So if nothing has changed, if the moderate politician who focuses on retail politics cannot carry the state, does it mean the old style of New Hampshire campaigning is done? It's finished. You know, this is a conversation I had a lot when I was in New Hampshire in the run-up to the primary this year, Brad, because I love it. I, I love the the feel, uh, the vibes, the way how people take it seriously. I'm not ready to give up on the New Hampshire primary. I think there's something really valuable about the candidates being out among the people, meeting them, hearing their concerns, their questions. You bring this to a bigger state, you know, California or New York or something like that, um, and you just can't cover it the way you do here. I think this might just be a phase. This is a weird election that may turn out to be essentially two incumbents running against each other. Donald Trump has broken so much about what we think we know about politics. I think there will be another side to this. And I think when the 2028 campaign starts going, that people are going to start going back to New Hampshire. And it's hard for me to imagine this tradition ends. Uh, there was a sense that, that I had in New Hampshire that felt like Maybe, maybe an era was ending, but I think it's probably just starting a new chapter. All right, really interesting stuff. All right, Rick Klein, our political director. Thank you so much. Thanks, Brett. And as Rick described that, it made me think about how many voters we spoke to here who are as plugged in as anyone. You know, Trump won Iowa. He may win here, but I don't think he can win in November. This is a state where people openly talk politics across the dining room table. In fact, this was a husband and wife. She had just voted for Haley. He had voted for Trump. Uh, I was for Nikki to begin with. Yeah. But uh, changed my mind. Oh, and how do you feel about that? Uh, he can vote for whoever he wants. When it comes to the issues... This is a state that is so unique in so many ways, right? It's got an aging population. It's got a disproportionate number of veterans. So many families here have been ravaged by the opioid crisis. They were sounding the alarm. But when you ask voters this year what they care about, the things that could really decide their choice. I mean, immigration is my number one concern. Uh, for myself, it's the economy. It's my children. It's education. Uh, corruption in government. Absolutely hands down. These are national issues, right? These are the same issues you'd hear about in Texas or California, which is fine, they affect us all, but it's one more reason that the conversation has moved beyond the traditional playbook about winning over little pockets of voters, and that has profound implications for how campaigns are run. Iowa, we love you. You are going to, oh, you just go out and buy larger tractors and more land. Don't worry about it. Iowa was decided by conservatives. Like, according to exit polls, half of caucus goers describe themselves as very conservative. Only 9% described themselves as moderate. Well, there are a lot of moderates in this country. A lot of them want to vote for a Republican president. And in New Hampshire, where undeclared voters can participate, we saw a lot more of them. No, nobody that I know wants to see a Biden-Trump matchup. Many moderates broke for Haley. Women turned out for Haley. She's the person we need. Oh, yeah. Young and um, conservative. It could be one of the reasons Trump seems ready to be done with this whole primary thing. As strong as he's been running in Republican circles, this broader electorate did expose some weak spots. So, I mean, candidly, my vote for Haley is a middle finger to Trump. New Hampshire is one of the whitest states in the nation. It's also one of the oldest. There are good reasons to say, you know, let's give other states a try. But every four years, like an aging pitcher heading back to the mound, it still has some lessons to teach, and it's still got a few curveballs left. It's a great place to live. 
visit, then go home. <laughs> Hey, we will follow that voter's advice. We are packing up. Really hope you found this primary coverage useful. Always curious to hear what you think. And if you found these episodes valuable, hey, leave a five-star rating and review wherever you listen. Many thanks to producers Kelly Therese and Jen Newman for ferrying me around Iowa and New Hampshire these last couple weeks, getting great sound, scrambling to make sure these shows sound good. I'm Brad Milkey. I'm out tomorrow as I head back to New York, but we'll have Ann Flaherty in the chair breaking everything down. I'll see you later. As in previous campaigns, it's the economy, stupid. We'll be looking at that this morning. First, though, it's the news, stupid. It is the economy, stupid. It's not the economy, stupid. It's national security, stupid. It's the hair, stupid. In 1992, one of the best-known pieces of presidential campaign wisdom was born. It's the economy, stupid. But was it actually the economy that won Bill Clinton that election? In a new series from the 538 Politics podcast, we're taking a look back at conventional wisdom from past elections with a critical lens. Where did that wisdom come from, and does it hold up today? Find the Campaign Throwback series in the 538 Politics feed wherever you get your podcasts.